Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled Prayer from our series, You're So Basic. Amen. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to James 5 today is where we're going to be looking as we open God's Word together. James chapter 5. Next Sunday, some of you noticed on the calendar, is Grandparents' Day. And yes, in the 9 o'clock service next week, we will be having an emphasis on grandparents and on senior adults. And so we're going to be honoring our senior adults next Sunday morning. Uh, In the 9 o'clock service is when we'll mainly be emphasizing that. And so we want you to come and join in for that. It'll be a wonderful time together. Amen. And so I've got my growth group leaders meeting tonight at 6 in the fellowship hall. And we're getting ready uh, to launch growth groups next Sunday night as well. And so we're excited about, about all of that. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, James chapter 5 is where we'll be looking today. James 5. And I want us to continue as we talk on the series, this idea of basic, the basics of the Christian life. And we've been covering a lot of ground. We spent two weeks talking about the church. What is the church and why is the church? Amen. What is it and why is it here? And then we spent last week talking about the basic of the Bible. Amen. God's Word. It doesn't get more basic than that. It also doesn't get more basic than what we're talking about today because today we're talking about the basic building block of prayer. Amen. We're talking about prayer, this conversation that we have with God. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, will be our text today. You may wonder, Pastor, why would you take the time to talk about basics like this, especially in a room of people that have walked with the Lord for many, many years? Well, let me explain. First of all, although many of us have walked with the Lord for a long time, there are also new, younger believers in the ranks of our church. And I have to be careful as a pastor that just because most of us know it or just because I've talked about it before or I know that you've heard about it before doesn't mean that everyone in the room knows about it or has learned about it or heard about it. And so if pastors don't ever review and go back and preach the basics, there are people in the room who never got the foundation that you and I enjoy and live our lives based on today. So that was part of the reason. But secondly, no matter how deep you are in God, you'll never get deeper than your foundation. I don't know if you've ever watched a building being built, but the foundation is not only the first thing laid, but it's probably the most important thing. If it is not right, there's no hope for anything after it being right. The foundation has to be right. I remember the trip to New York I took a couple years back going and visiting uh, Ground Zero and the 9-11 Museum. And the thing that amazed me was when you went uh, underneath the building there and realized just how deep in the ground that building went. When you see these massive skyscrapers that stick up out of the ground, it's amazing how deep they go down into the ground in order to be able to stand that tall above the ground. Amen? The same is true for a massive tree. The higher the tree, the stronger the root system must be to hold it upright in the storms and the winds of life. Can I tell you today, prayer is foundational to the Christian life. And you'll never grow any higher. You'll never be able to get any taller or grow any bigger than your prayer life. To say it as many Christians have said it down through the years, no Christian is greater than his prayer life. Would you say that with me? No Christian is greater than his prayer life. If you get nothing else out of the day, write that in the front of your Bible and go eat chicken. But that is the point for today. No Christian is greater than his or her prayer life. Our our time spent in the presence of God is foundational to us. And so, and my experience lastly is this, even folks who've been in church for many years often struggle on this one. 
It's amazing to me how many people would say, Pastor, I I like to read, and so reading the Bible and studying the Bible is not hard for me. I enjoy the services. I love being in in, in the presence of God. I love the fellowship with other believers. I love the music. I just enjoy being in church. Many would say, I'm okay with all of that, but the struggle for many of us is prayer. If we're honest, especially private prayer when it's just us and the Lord, and we don't have a group environment to sort of light our candle off of, right? Right? It's a little difficult sometimes to get started and to maintain that discipline of prayer. Well, I want to talk about that today, and our text is James 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Would you bow your heart with me one more time? Father, in Christ's name, I thank you today for your word. And I pray, God, that you'd anoint me to share it. And I pray that you would bless our hearts to receive it. And the Lord, you'd speak through me today. And the Lord, you'd encourage our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would learn something today that maybe we didn't know. But more than that, I pray that you would stir up the embers of the fire for God in our heart. I pray that you would reignite the passion for us to be in your presence and to be people who spend time there. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I want to give you three principles for prayer today before we go. The first one is this. Prayer is for every situation. Say that with me. Prayer is for every situation. Do you see that, the way James describes that right at the beginning? He says, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing psalms. That's another form of prayer. And if you're sick and you can't pray for yourself, then call somebody else to pray for you. Amen? But the bottom line, when you link all those three together, is that no matter what situation you find yourself in, we are still called to be people of prayer. If you're suffering, you ought to be praying for deliverance. If you've already been delivered and you're on the top side of the mountain, you ought to be praying prayers of thanksgiving and rejoicing for how well things are going in your life. And if you are sick and need the help of others, then invite others to join you in prayer. Ask for the prayers of the leaders of your church so that they might help you to pray. But prayer is for every situation. Amen. Jim Cimbala, the pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle, said, anything God can do, prayer can do. Anything God can do, prayer can do. That's a great reminder, isn't it? Amen. Uh, E.M. Bounds once said, Prayer breaks all bars, dissolves all chains, opens all prisons, widens all straits by which God's saints have been held. And so we are to pray no matter what situation we're in. I think this is one of the reasons the Bible gives us several different kinds of prayer in the Bible. There's several kinds of prayer we ought to be engaged in. We find them here in 1 Timothy chapter chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, he, he writes to the church in uh, at Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus at the time he writes this letter. And so he says, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Those are the four types right there. He gives us these four words for prayer. The first one he gives us is the word supplication. Say supplication. 
That's a big long word. If you notice though, right in the front of the word is the word supply. Do you see it? Right in the beginning. And that's what this kind of prayer is all about. You're asking God to supply a need. That's what supplication is. It's a request for supplies. If you're in a battle, if you're fighting a war, one of the most important things that you have going for you is your supply line. If you're on the front line of battle, you're going to run out of ammunition. You're going to run out of food. You're going to run out of resources if you don't have a supply line. But from the front line all the way back to to the resources that are stored, you've got this thing called a supply line and you have a steady little chain of soldiers like ants that are bringing stuff to the front and taking stuff away from the front and bringing more to the front and taking stuff away from the front. And in the Christian life, when we're on the battlefield for the Lord, we if we're on the front line, we better have a supply line. Amen? If we're fighting and engaging the the battle daily with the world, the flesh, and the devil, if we're going to live on the front line, and we are, we need a supply line to make sure that we're receiving what help we need to win and fight the battle. And your supply line is prayer. Amen. We engage in supplication. We ask God for the things we have need of. It's a prayer of petition. We're asking God. The word carries the idea of desperation, uh, of urgency. We're desperately crying out to God, asking God for some things. This word also carries the idea of being a specific request. This isn't a general prayer of, oh God, just bless everybody in the whole wide world. This is a specific request. If you need supplies, you put it down. In our office, we have something called a requisition form. If you need a particular thing from the office supply company, you write down what you need and how many you need, and you put fold that up and you put it on a secretary's desk, and she will get that ordered for you and drop it off on your desk when it arrives. It's called a requisition. You're requesting something very specific. That's what supplication is. It's a requisition form that you lay on the altar and say, God, this is what I need. This is how many I need, and this is when I need it by, if at all possible. Amen? It is specifically laying out before the Lord what we need in order to do business for the kingdom of God. It's specific requests. It's the kind of request we read about a moment ago when the Bible talks about Elijah, and it says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It was it was, it was a fervent prayer. The word fervent means white hot, burning with heat. His prayer was passionate. His prayer was urgent. He was meaning business with God. And if you read the story in the book of Kings, you'll find out that he did mean business with God. The Bible says he put his head between his knees and he prayed with urgency for God to open up heaven and send rain. Now, I don't know about you, but I couldn't get my head between my knees because there's too much in between there. Amen. But that's how Elijah prayed. He was earnest and intent on getting his answer from God. Supplication carries specificity. It's a specific request, but it also carries urgency. Lord, we need this, and we're being serious about it in prayer. The second word is just the word prayers. The word prayer, and this is the general word for prayer. Prosuke is the Greek word. This idea of bowing down in prayer. This word is more general. And not only should we be asking God for specific things that we need, but we also should have just a general habit of prayer. This general word for prayer describes prayers of commitment, prayers of faithfulness, prayers of devotion. This idea of just coming to God regularly because we should. Amen. 
Can I tell you something today? Your prayer life will help your supplications. If you are regular and faithful to God in prayer, if you don't just show up whenever you have an urgent need, you're more likely to get your urgent need answered if God is regularly hearing from you. I don't want to be the kind of person that whenever I call on the Lord, the Lord has to look over the balcony rail to see whose voice that is. I want to be so regular in God's presence that my voice is recognized and heard. I want to be familiar in the courts of heaven. Amen? I want to be known there. The Bible says that Paul was known in hell. Amen? Whenever he cast out, they tried to cast out a demon. They said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the devil answered back, Jesus I know and Paul I know. But you I don't know, right? Paul was known in hell because he was heard in heaven. I want to be heard in heaven. Amen. I want heaven to know my name. I want to be regular and faithful in prayer. That's what this second word means. We should have a regular, daily, dedicated time and place for prayer. Time and place, both of them. Can I tell you today, the Bible tells us that God expects us to have regular times in his presence. And Jesus even talked about a regular place of prayer. Jesus had regular places of prayer. He loved to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a favorite spot for him. He would often arise and go up on a mountain by himself and pray. Jesus tells us to have a regular place of prayer. In Matthew 6, 5, he said, when you pray, notice he didn't say if you pray. He said, when you pray, the expectation is that Christians will pray. But he said, when you pray, what do you, where do you go? Go into your chamber and shut the door. In other words, he says, if you've got a bedroom, you've got a prayer room. If you've got any place in your life where you can go in and shut the door and be alone for a few minutes, then you have a place where you can pray. Every Christian needs a dedicated place for prayer. It doesn't mean you can't use the room for other things as well. It just means you need a place where you can go and get alone with God and shut the door and do business with God in prayer. We need a regular place and we need a regular time. The Bible tells us that we ought to be faithful in prayer. If you don't have a dedicated time or place to pray, you won't ever pray very much. Can I say it that way? If you don't have a dedicated time and place, you won't do much praying in your life. There's something about marking out that time and place that creates space in our calendar and our home for that kind of prayer to happen. Daniel 6.10 says that Daniel, when he heard the edict was signed, went into his upper room, his windows and doors, his windows being open uh, toward Jerusalem, and he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and gave thanks to God as was his custom since early days. Do you see it? That last line, it was his custom. Say custom. It means a habit. He had a custom. He had a habit of praying three times a day. And so this was a regular part of his life. If you're going to be mighty in prayer, you're going to have to be regular and faithful in prayer. Amen? So that's the second word. The third word is intercession. Say intercession. Intercession is praying for others. Many times, if we're honest, our prayer life, if we're not careful, can be a very selfish place. (laughs) We can spend all of our time and energy unloading on God the things that we want and need for our own lives. But the word intercession reminds us that prayer shouldn't be selfish. Prayer should be a gift that we give to others as well. We should be praying for their needs. We should be lifting up their hearts. We should be offering requests for them before the throne of God. Paul commands Timothy to lead the church in Ephesus in interceding for others. He says, I want you to intercede for kings and leaders and those 
who were in authority. And then he says, this is good and acceptable because God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we should be praying for lost people who don't know Christ to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. These are two groups of people that we're urged to pray for. You can be a person of prayer and still not be an intercessor. You can pray much about your own life and your own needs, but that's not the highest, noblest use of prayer. The highest, greatest use of prayer is to intercede for someone else, to stand in the gap, to come before God on their behalf and call their name in prayer. Sometimes we need someone else to help us pray. Sometimes we're going through such a fiery trial, such a difficult storm, it's hard for us to pray for ourselves. You ever been there? It's just hard to pray. When you're in grief, when you're in struggle, when you're sick, it's hard to pray. And in those moments, we need someone to be like the four friends of the paralytic man. We need somebody to grab the bed sheet on all four corners and pick us up and carry us into the presence of Jesus and drop us down in front of him and say, Lord, won't you do something for the man? Intercessory prayer is friends carrying other friends into the presence of Jesus. And by your intercession, you can grab the corner of somebody's life and you can bring them into the presence of God and God can do a mighty work for them. But sometimes you need a lift, amen? You need somebody to grab the corner of your life and lift you up in prayer and bring you to Jesus. That's what intercession does. Oswald Chambers says, By intercessory prayer, we can hold off Satan from other people's lives and give the Holy Ghost a chance with them. No wonder God puts such tremendous emphasis on prayer. We can push back the dark in prayer. We can shine the light in prayer. We can draw down God's grace on somebody life in prayer and we can give the Spirit of God an opportunity to work on them and push back the enemy so that mighty things can be done in prayer. Intercession. The fourth word is thanksgiving. Say thanksgiving. I believe thanksgiving is the most underrated part of prayer for many of us. Many of us ask largely, but we don't thank God very much if we're honest. We kind of forget about that part, don't we? We receive the good gifts and forget to send the thank you note, don't we? Uh, Thanksgiving is important in prayer. Number one, it's right. It's just proper that we ought to give thanks. If someone's blessed you, you ought to acknowledge that and be thankful for that. But number two, I want to tell you, Thanksgiving fuels your faith. Thanksgiving fuels your faith. Because when I am thankful, when I begin to thank God for his blessings, it reminds me of how good he's been. It reminds me of the prayers that he has answered. It builds my faith to recount the memory of those things. I believe that's what David's doing in Psalm 103 when he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And he begins to list them. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who fills your mouth with good things, who fills you with loving kindness so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What is he doing? He's reminding himself of how good God has been so that when he asks God for today's needs, he's got this track record of God's past faithfulness to stand upon. I can ask God boldly and for things in prayer because I've seen him answer before. And the reason I remember is because I recount them when I give thanks. Thanksgiving is an important part of prayer. Thanksgiving also reminds us that prayer is not just about getting things from God. 
Prayer is not just about drawing down blessings from heaven. Prayer is also about communion with God. It's about spending time with God. It's about praising and worshiping our way into the presence of God. Sometimes you don't need anything from God. You just need to be in the presence of God. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are blessings forevermore. Amen. Sometimes we just need to worship our way into the presence of God and sit there and allow God, his presence, to bathe us and to fill us. When we are regularly praising and worshiping our way into God's presence, it makes a difference. It reminds us God doesn't show up when we pray. God's already here. God's already moving and already active. Here's what happens. When I pray, I show up in the presence of God. Amen. It's not about getting God to come into my situation. God's like, no, I'm trying to get you into my presence around my throne where you can hear my voice and believe my promise and and you can get your head screwed on straight and you can see life through the proper set of glasses and you can understand what's going on around you. God says, I'm not the one who isn't showing up. When we don't pray, we're the ones that aren't showing up. It's not, will God show up in my presence? It's, will I show up in God's presence? And by prayer, I make myself present before the throne of God. The Bible doesn't say that God needs to come. The Bible says we need to come. Having boldness, let us come before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in the time of need. If you need help, if you need mercy, if you need grace, if you need favor, if you need God to do something, then you need to come. You need to come before the throne. And the way we come before the throne is in prayer through the name and the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so that's what happens when we pray. Thanksgiving is important in prayer. Vance Havner, one of my favorite old preachers, he told the story about an elderly lady who was disturbed with many troubles, some real and some imaginary. Her family had tried everything to help her, and finally they tactfully told her. They said, Grandma, we've done all we can for you. You'll just have to trust God for the rest. A look of despair came across her face, and she said, Oh, dear, has it come to that? Vance Havner replied, It always comes to that, so we may as well start with that. Amen. Prayer is not our last resort. It is our first resort resource. It's the first place we go. We go to God first. Notice what what Paul said. He said, I exhort first of all (laughs) that prayers be made. Prayers first of all, not last of all. It's the beginning. It's where we start. And if we'll start in prayer, we often won't have to end up coming back having an emergency session at midnight. Amen? If we'd start with prayer and bring it before the Lord. Prayer is for every situation. Say every situation. Number two, prayers for everyone. Everyone is called to pray. Many times in the Christian life, there are things that we believe we should leave to the professionals. I want to tell you today, prayer is not one of those things. Prayer is not something we can outsource to somebody else. And we do this in a couple ways. Sometimes we do this by saying, well, I'm going to get the preacher to pray. Listen, I will pray with you and I will pray for you about anything. That is is why I'm here and I love to do that. And I often tell people when they ask for something, I'll say, I will pray with you. But I always say with you. I'm careful about saying I'll pray for you. I don't mean I won't pray for you. But what I mean is I can't do your praying for you. I can support your praying with my praying. Does that make sense? 
It's different. And sometimes when we say, I want you to pray for me, I think what we mean is not I want you to pray with me, but I want you to pray instead of me. (laughs) I'm not going to pray, but I want you to. No, 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 it doesn't work that way, right? Uh, That's sort of what my boys often want done with their homework, right? Can you help me with my homework? Well, what do you mean by help you? (laughs) Because helping you and giving you all the answers is not the same thing, right? God calls us to help one another in prayer, but it doesn't mean that we can do someone else's praying for them. We can stand with them in prayer. We can strengthen them in prayer. We can hold them up in prayer, but we can't pray instead of them. God calls us to pray for himself. Each one of us has to learn to do that on our own. And we can do this on our own. We often think that, well, it's just for the professionals. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. James addresses that in the text. He says in verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man of like passions, and yet he was heard. He was a man with a nature like ours, the King James says. Elijah was heard not because he was a prophet. We often think, well, Elijah was a prophet. He's God's man of faith and power. That's why he was heard. That's not what James says. James doesn't say he was heard because he was a prophet. James said he was heard because he was righteous. Now, you may not be a prophet, but if you're a Christian, you are righteous. You've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. If you're walking in righteousness today, if you're doing your best to please God and keep your sins repented and confessed and trying to walk above the power of them, if you're walking by faith in the blood of Jesus, if you're doing your best, then you're righteous before God. And if you're righteous, your prayer will be heard. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. God will hear the righteous. The Bible says all through the Old Testament, all through the Psalms, for the Lord hears the cry of the righteous. The righteous cry and the Lord answers, the psalmist said. When we cry from a state of being right with God, God hears us. Dick Eastman said the greatest hindrance to effective prayer is sin. Proverbs 28, 9 says, One who turns his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. (laughs) If I won't obey God, if I won't walk in righteousness, even my prayer life doesn't count for much. But if I'm righteous, if I'm right with God, then my prayers are mighty before God. Confession can restore you to right relationship with God. Trust in Jesus can bring you right with God. Repenting and forsaking your sins, trusting in the blood, this will make you right before God. Prayer is based on a relationship. The reason we're heard is because God is our Father and we are His children and there's that relationship there. That's why Jesus said prayer begins with the words, Our Father who art in heaven. If you can't call God Father, you may as well abandon the rest of the prayer and go back and fix that part. Because there's no point asking God for daily bread or any of these other things until you get the relationship right. We have to be able to honestly say God is our Father. And the only way for God to be your Father is if you've been born again through faith in the Son of God. If the blood's made your heart clean and you've been given a new nature, if the Spirit of God has come and brought you from death to life, then you can, you're a son or daughter of God and you can say our Father who art in heaven, and God will hear you, and he'll answer you. But prayer is for everyone. Say it's for everyone. It's for everyone. It's for every situation. And lastly, prayer is effective. Say it's effective. We have to be careful when we talk about the effectiveness of prayer, don't we? Because if we're honest about that, all of us could draw 
uh, on the board today, two columns, and we could list prayers that God answered and prayers that didn't, right? If we're honest, all of us would have a list like that, or at least ones that haven't got answered yet, amen? Or a few that got answered no, maybe that'd be a better way of saying it. But all of us can testify today, both on the side of faith and on the side of doubt, if we're honest. Both of us can tell stories of how God moved and mightily answered prayer. And yet, all of us could also tell stories of times that we prayed and it still did not turn the way we wanted it to turn. Or it did not go the way we hoped it would go. We all have stories like that. And yet, the Bible urges and reminds us that prayer is effective. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And James gives us two keys to when we talk about the effectiveness of our prayers. I don't understand all the mysteries of why some things get through and others don't, but I'm learning more and more to trust the character of God and to lay my needs in confidence before him and to believe he'll do it. I shared this with Roy and Mary Wednesday night. Uh, a quote that has meant a lot to me lately was from a guy named Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a great pastor of a Redeemer Presbyterian church in New York City. It's a church that he grew largely by leading people who were atheists and agnostics to faith in Christ. And as a result of that, he had to get really good at answering really tough questions about the faith from people who did not believe. And it caused him to dig his roots deep in the things of God. And I love to read and hear Tim preach. Tim Keller is battling cancer himself right now. And he's praying and taking treatments and doing everything he can do to fight back against the disease. And so far he's doing really well. And I asked a few weeks ago for you to help me pray for him. He's a great friend of the kingdom. He's much like Ravi Zacharias. He's one of those clear voices that can speak to those outside the faith and give a defense of the faith. And I think we need more people like that in the world, not less Tim Keller's a great guy. He talked about prayer recently because he's been fighting cancer in, on his knees and fighting this battle in prayer. And I love the, the quote he gave about prayer. Here it is. He said, whenever we pray, I believe God will either give me what I ask for or he will give me what I would have asked for if I knew all the details about the situation that he knew. Let that sink in. God will either give me what I ask for or he will give me what I would have asked for if I knew all the details about the situation that he knew about it. In other words, I can trust that my prayers are effective. Both when I get exactly what I pray for and when he moves in a way that isn't exactly like I prayed for, I can still trust that those prayers haven't bounced off the ceiling back at me. If I'm right with the Lord... And I'm earnest and honest in prayer. God will hear. And God will respond. And even when he doesn't do it the way I wanted to or exactly the way I asked, doesn't mean he didn't respond. Sometimes it just means he gave me something better than I even knew to ask for. And sometimes I'm not mature enough or wise enough to see it in the moment. And I have to trust his character and I have to trust his father heart, and I have to trust his goodness and his nature and believe that and keep walking forward in faith, going, I trust you even when I can't trace what you're doing right here. Prayer is effective. Say it's effective. Two keys and we'll go eat chicken together. Well, you will. I got another service to preach. But All right, here we go. Two keys. We ought to pray earnestly and we ought to pray persistently. Number one, earnestly. Say earnestly. 
I love this. The Bible says that we must pray earnestly. Verse 17 says uh, that he prayed earnestly. The King, one version says he prayed in his praying. That's what it says in the Greek. He prayed in his praying. I like that. He was passionate in prayer. He prayed in his praying. Have you ever not prayed in your praying? There's a phrase in Christian uh, talk that I just, I just don't like. People say, well, say your prayers, or when you say your prayers, I don't believe in saying prayers. I believe in praying, and there is a difference. <laughs> Many people say prayers. They just go through the rote exercise. They just go through the motions of saying the things that they believe God wants to hear. I don't know that that's effective. In fact, I rather believe it isn't. Jesus warned us against it. Jesus warned us against vain repetition. This idea of just coming before God and saying the same thing over and over because we believe saying the right words or saying them a lot of times will somehow get it done before God. Prayer isn't magic. Prayer isn't ritual. Prayer isn't superstition. Prayer isn't a mantra that we chant over and over that gets the job done. No, prayer is a conversation with a living, breathing God. We're really interacting with Him. We're really having conversation and our prayer is really a dialogue between us and Him. And it works because there's somebody listening on the other end of the line. And He really is impacted by our prayer. But we have to be earnest in our praying. There's a difference in saying your prayers and getting down to serious business with God and pouring your heart out in earnest prayer. I've often struggled even when we pray with someone to receive Christ about feeding them the words to say. I guess there's nothing wrong with that if they can take my words and make them their own. Maybe those training wheels are helpful. But I remember I was 11 years old and nobody gave me training wheels or words to say. It was just repent of your sins. Confess. Tell God that you're sorry. Invite Jesus to come in. Ask God to save you. And in my own words and in my own way, I poured my heart out to God. And you know what? I probably didn't even do it or say it right. But because I meant what I said, he heard me and he showed up. God would rather you, the real you, show up and not say it quite right and to stumble your way through it, but to be honest and passionate in prayer than for you to come in all polished and proper and get all the words right and your heart not be in it. Listen, I know we're talking to the king of all the universe and we want to get it right. But Jesus said you're talking to your father who is in heaven. And when you crawl up in your dad's lap, you don't have to get it all right. You just got to get it all out. And the goal of prayer is not getting it all right. It's getting it out. And coming and trusting our father enough to be able to dump the laundry basket in the floor and know that he will help us sort it. And he will hear us. And he will answer us. He's looking for our passion, honest, earnest prayer. People who pray in their praying. Who don't just say prayers, but who really mean business. And God can see our heart and know we're in earnest about this. We really mean this. We really desire what we're asking for. We're not just praying because we ought. We're praying because we want this. And we're asking. Finally, lastly, we pray persistently. This Spurgeon said this about earnestness. He said, when we ask the Lord coolly, not fervently, we do stop his hand and restrain him from giving us the very blessing we pretend we are seeking. Ouch. I wonder if I've ever pretended I was seeking a blessing. 
Ever prayed for God to make you patient? You didn't mean it. <laughs> Have you ever pretended to ask God for something because you should? God knows our heart. He wants us to ask because we really mean it. Earnestness. Number two, persistence. I close with this. The Bible says in verse 18, Elijah prayed for rain. And then verse 18, there's this great little line. You ought to underline it if you mark in your Bible. And he prayed again. Again. He didn't just pray one time. He prayed again. There are times we have to pray again. There are times we have to bring it back before the Lord. There are times we must multiply lay it out in His presence. There are times when one prayer doesn't push it through, we have to pray again. Amen. The Bible tells us this. Elijah prayed seven times for rain until his servant came back with a report that there was the cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah knew God had heard him and answered. Jesus prayed three times in the garden. Paul prayed three times for the thorn to be taken. And the Bible tells us that, that Daniel prayed for 21 days every day, three times a day about something before he finally saw it come to fruition. That means he prayed 63 times about it. How many times have you prayed about it? <laughs> Daniel prayed 63 times about it in three weeks. And finally, the Bible says God brought his answer. In fact, I want you to notice what the Bible says about it, Daniel 10. When the angel finally arrived with Daniel's answer, he explained why it was so important that Daniel kept on praying, that he didn't stop halfway through. He says this to him, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. You ought to shout right there. God heard Daniel the first time that he prayed. And even if the answer hasn't showed up yet, it doesn't mean God hasn't heard you. Do you see it? When did he hear him? The first time. From the first day, your words were heard in heaven. Glory be to God. Even if the answer is held up somewhere, even if it hasn't arrived yet, I can have confidence that if I'm praying, God is hearing and my voice is making it. That's good news. Keep reading. The verse gets even better. He says, I heard you from the first day. And he says, your words were heard. Then he says, and I have come because of your words. Why did you come? Because you kept on praying. You kept on speaking. You kept on calling on God to intervene for you. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. In other words, there was a demonic spirit that got in between heaven and Daniel on earth and intercepted his answer and had things locked up. And the only way Daniel could get his answer that had already been released from heaven was to fall on his knees in prayer and to fight the good fight. And while he's praying on his knees, angels are fighting in the heavenlies. And somewhere between Daniel's praying and the angels fighting, the answer broke loose and made it to Daniel. Sometimes it isn't because God hasn't heard you. Sometimes it's because there are other factors involved in the process and you've got to persevere and press on and in prayer. God wants to answer you, but the devil doesn't want the answer to get to you. And you have a very real enemy. And sometimes you've got to buckle up and you've got to fight in prayer until the answer reaches you. Sometimes you've got not only demonic beings at work, sometimes you've got human beings at work. You ever prayed for somebody stubborn <laughs> sometimes it takes some work sometimes God has to do a work on them to get them to the place where they're willing to cooperate with what you're praying about that can be a journey amen 
God dealing with them and bringing them to the place, taking them on the journey, softening them up through the blows of life to where they're finally open enough to let God do a work in them. It's not always easy. It's not always fast. But if we will persevere in prayer, if we will keep pressing in in prayer, we can see mighty answers to things that we're asking for, even if they don't come instantly and even if they take a while to pray into the earth. I love this. Jesus gave us the parable of the unjust judge as an example to persevere in prayer. He said, if even a wicked, unjust ruler can be overcome by persistence, how much more can our good, willing, heavenly Father be prevailed upon in prayer? God's not like the unjust judge. He's the opposite of the unjust judge. But if even a wicked man can be worn down by persistence, how much more effective do you think your persistence will be if you pray to God and ask God who loves you to help you? This is the point of the parable. Martin Luther said prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. That's what we do when we pray. We lay hold of the willingness of God to help us and to answer us. Andrew Murray said this, Chad, come help me. Andrew Murray said, Once we've been led by the Spirit to the certainty that our request is something according to the Word we need for God's glory, we will have wonderful confidence to say, My Father knows I need it and I must have it. And if there's any delay in the answer, we will learn to hold on in quiet perseverance. Too many times we give up too soon in prayer. I believe this with all my heart. Too many times we pray once or twice and if it doesn't immediately break and come, we sort of consign ourselves to say, well, it must not be the Lord's will. I believe some of the things we give up on are God's will. It's just we don't hang in there and persevere until we see it come to pass. We give up a little bit too easily or we give up a lot too easily sometimes. We need people like Daniel in the Old Testament who will lay hold of the willingness of God and keep on praying because because of those words, because we keep coming back, like the persistent widow, because we keep knocking on the judge of all the earth's door, we will be heard on high. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. One final story Jesus tells about it, right? Jesus said there was a man who came and arrived at midnight came to stay with his neighbor and came to stay with his friend and his friend uh, invited him into his house but he had no food to put before him on his journey. So that friend went next door to his neighbor and knocked on the door and said, neighbor, give me food to put before this traveler. Give me food to set before my traveling friend. And he said, uh, no, I'm already in the bed. My family's already in bed. I'm not doing it. Just go away. Come back in the morning. Tell them to go to bed. The Bible says the man kept beating on the door. The Bible says the man will rise not just because he's his friend, but because of the importunity or the persistence of the guy knocking at the door. He will finally rise and give him whatever he needs. I want to tell you there, there's two keys there for prayer. There's relationship and there's perseverance. The reason he went to the neighbor's door to begin with is because he knew the guy. He didn't go to a stranger's door and beat on it. He went to his friend's door and beat on it. Help me. He went to his door because he knew him. But he stayed at the door in perseverance because sometimes even the relationship wasn't enough. He had to plow on through and persevere and get his answer. Many of us believe that if, and we've even said, if God really loved me, he'd answer the first time every time. 
that isn't true, friend. That isn't biblical. It isn't what the Bible teaches about prayer. The Bible teaches us that sometimes there are other factors involved that get in the way. And sometimes, for reasons we may not understand, we have to persevere and keep knocking on the door. Everyone who is asking receives. And everyone who is seeking finds. And everyone who is knocking on the door, to them the door is opened. Will you keep knocking and seeking and asking? That's the question today. Let's be honest, prayer is not easy. Whether you're a new Christian or whether you've been in the faith for a long time, if we're honest, there are times prayer is one of the most difficult things we do as Christians. We pray. And yet it is one of the most fundamental things that we do. We talk about prayer. We brag on the power of prayer. We ask others for prayer. Yet like Jesus warned Peter who fell asleep in Gethsemane, we often discovered that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and it's just hard to hang in there. God calls us to be a praying church, a house of prayer for all nations. They were praying in Acts 2 when the Spirit came. They were praying in Acts 4 when the place was shaken. They were playing at, praying in Acts 12 whenever Peter's arrested and God sets him free from prison. We need to be a praying church. God wants to hear our collective voice lifted in prayer for our community. Number two, we need to restore our family altar. Prayer is more caught than taught. You learn to pray the same way you learn to drive, by doing it. We learn on the job. That's how we learn to pray. Someone asked me, Pastor, how did you learn to pray? And I told him, I said, here's how I learned to pray. I was 12 years old. We had a revival meeting. And a group of old men grabbed me after the first service and said, we missed you at 630 I said, the service doesn't start to 7. They said, at 6.30, the men meet in the Sunday school room and we pray before the service. I said, I'm just 12 years old. They said, we'll see you tomorrow night at 6.30. I said, yes, sir. So the next night at 6.30, I walked in a room and there were about eight men, all of them over 65 or 70 years old. I'm the only young guy in the room. I'm 12. And we kneeled down at folding chairs and one guy would pray and the rest of them would say, oh, God. <laughs> been in one of those meetings yeah then he'd quit and the next one would pray and everybody else would say oh God when they got to the end I thought we were done and one of them tapped me on the shoulder and said it's your turn it's your turn to pray and I said I don't know what to say they said just, just pray from your heart so I prayed and did it badly and they said oh God and by the end of that week, I don't know if anything else happened in the revival except a 12-year-old boy learned how to pray. And I didn't learn it because I read a book about it. I learned it because I got in a room with people that were doing it. And maybe not doing it perfectly, but they were doing it earnestly. And they were doing it honestly. And they were doing it persistently. And it's enough. You never feel more inadequate than when you're praying. And maybe that's part of the point. <laughs> you're never tempted to feel like anything is more of a waste of time than when you're praying. Because when you pray, I can assure you, a thousand other things that you need to be doing will flood your mind while you're in there praying. You ever notice that? I keep a, I keep a piece of paper in prayer. So God can speak to you? No. So I can write down all the things that I'm supposed to be doing that day that the enemy reminds me of when I'm on my knees. And instead of getting up off my knees and doing them, I can write them down and say, I'll handle it later. 
pray some more. Oh, you need to be doing this. I'll handle that later too. And you just keep a list that you can get up and do later. Because if you don't, the enemy will constantly come at your mind and remind you of other things you ought to be doing. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be praying. And so he tries to convince you that you shouldn't be wasting your time doing it. Alistair Begg said this, If our prayer life is meager, it is because we have decided that prayer is supplemental rather than fundamental. God wants us to be people for whom prayer is fundamental. Are you there? We ought to be. Let's lift our heart up today. I'm closing. We need a personal time and place for prayer to renew our commitment to be a person who is supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving. We learn it by doing it. And I want you to take a moment with me before we go today and let's make this a house of prayer. I'm going to ask John to put up that list or Kayla to put up that list for us today. If you don't know what to pray for today as we're closing out in prayer, I urge you to take a moment with me for each of these. We're urged to pray for governmental leaders and those in authority. I urge you to pray for our upcoming election. If there's ever a time we need God to intervene for our country, it is now. Let's pray about the election. Let's pray for revival and spiritual awakening in our nation. Let's pray for lost friends, relatives, neighbors that don't know the Lord. Let's pray God's blessing on our own family today. Let's pray for those in the life of our own church who need God's touch and who, who need His help and His strength. Amen. Speaking with our friend just before service a few moments ago, she asked us to pray for Ronnie Brown Sr. His family passed away, lost his life. We've got others this season who are bereaved and grieving. We've got those recovering from surgeries and procedures. We've got friends that we've met in Louisiana who need God to intervene for them. We've got our mission team. We have much to pray about. I want to challenge you for the next few seconds as we bow our hearts, nobody to leave or slip out, but take a moment and cultivate the practice of prayer. Would you bow your heart with me? Can we take a moment and make this a house of prayer? Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we bow our hearts before you today because we believe, we believe that you hear us. We believe that you answer us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the room today who's not right with you, that they would take a moment and confess their sins, and confess their faith and trust in the blood of Jesus, and that this morning you would give us clean hands and pure hearts so that we can stand before your presence and we can be heard. We want to be righteous men and women whose prayers avail much. Lord, we do today lift our hearts up to you in prayer. Lord, we pray for our governmental leaders. We pray for those in authority, from our president and vice president, Senators and congressmen, our governor, our state and local officials, our mayor, Lord, our rulers and leaders, our councilmen, Lord, we pray for them today. Lord, we pray today, God, that you would move in their hearts and lives. We pray, Lord, that you would give us righteous leaders to rule over us. Lord, don't give us the ungodly to rule over us. That's a reproach, your word says. But Lord, give us righteous men and women whose hearts are turned toward you, who want what you want and desire what you desire and will lead us with justice and equity. Lord, we pray for that. We pray for the upcoming election cycle, that God, you would intervene, that Lord, you would protect us and defend us as a nation. And Lord, give us the leaders we need, not the leaders we deserve. And Lord, put men and women in places of authority who will guide us in the way that we should go and who will help turn the tide of things to the direction that they should be. Lord, we ask you for that today. Father, we pray, Lord, 
not only would you move in the halls of power, not only would you move in the houses of Senate and Congress and the White House, but God, we pray that you'd visit your house again and that, Lord, you would move in power and that we'd see revival and renewal happen in our country. Lord, that you would visit your people, that you would pour out your spirit in this nation again, that churches would be white hot with the presence of God, that preachers would preach the truth of the Word of God, and that, Lord, your Word would go forward again, and that people would be convicted and drawn to Christ, and the lost would be saved. Lord, we pray for our lost friends today, family members, loved ones, children, nieces, nephews, maybe parents or grandparents who don't know the Lord. We pray for co-workers and neighbors and fellow students and those that we are associated with around our community that don't know Christ, that, Lord, you would open their hearts and that you would open our mouths and you would give us words to say and give us an audience when we say them and let us do something that would share our faith in a way that connects with their hearts and draws them to faith in Christ. Lord, we pray today for our church and our families and our needs and the blessings that we need for you today. We ask you today, God, to meet our needs, to shine your face on us and to, to come and to provide all things that we need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We trust you. We believe you enough to lay these needs at your feet. We do pray, Lord, for Ronnie Brown and their family. We do pray, God, that you'd hold them up and bless them. We do pray today for, Lord, every unspoken need in this house. We pray for those in Louisiana and the Texas line, that Lake Charles area that have been affected. God, they would put their hope in you and that the enemy would not be able to use this time of loss to accuse God, but this would be a time when they draw close to God. Lord, we pray for your help and your blessing. We ask you for all these things in Jesus' name. As we pray the prayer he taught us, would you pray with me? Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Would you give the Lord a great hand of praise today? Can I ask you today, make a habit like Daniel. Make it a daily custom in your life that you pray. And if you've never prayed and you don't pray but 10 or 15 minutes, that's a great start. My former state youth director used to say, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. (laughs) One Jewish rabbi said, it's the prayers we pray that count, not the ones we don't. Pray. Start where you are. It's like running on a treadmill. You'll work your way up to longer time but just start where you are it's not about clocking an hour it's about spending time in the presence of God and showing up earnestly and honestly and pouring out your heart He will meet you there I promise you Amen Amen. receive this blessing from the Lord as we go now may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you may the Lord lift His countenance on you and grant you peace in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and His people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Wednesday morning, Senior Adult Bible Study. Wednesday night, Wednesday night Sunday school, various classes at 6.30. Hope to see you there. We'll dismiss through the front doors, either side here. And uh, Hope to see you on Wednesday. Thank you. Remind you to give permissions on your way. Give online. Help us bless others. 
God bless you. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.